Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. We are coming to you right after the Reds grind out a lopsided 1-0 victory where the score could have easily been many different combinations and Matt Turner notches his third clean sheet of 2021. My name's still Chris Velukas, and joining me today, making their Revolution Recap debut, we have Sam Mitten of the Bent Musket. Sam, thanks. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, how are you doing this evening? Uh, doing good. Uh, you know, glad that the Revs were able to get that win, but it, it was definitely a grind-out win, as uh, Bruce Arena described it. So, you know, heading into the international break, you can just be happy that they were able to walk away with the three points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, for our listeners, Greg and Sean have this week off, so uh, we're just going to jump straight into our t- key takeaways right now. Um, Sam, you mentioned it was a, a grind-out win. Uh, what are your takeaways? Do you have a, a, anything that you wanted to really talk about that you noticed during the game? Yeah, definitely during the game, just seeing the sheer amount of socks. I think it was 25 or 26 socks that the Revolution took. And just seeing them only be able to walk away with that one goal. It's obviously a game against Cincinnati where the Revolution are just a better team. No offense to any FC Cincinnati fans. Um, but overall, you know, this is a game that the Revolution were expected to win. And, you know, you're hoping that they would make that statement, whether it be 2 nothing, 3 nothing, But, you know, really just make a statement and show that they're one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, to see them, you know, get that many shots and, you know, whether it be blocked or off target, you know, Adam Bucha, for example, had plenty of, you know, headers, even once again hitting the post. So, you know, overall, just seeing those sheer amount of socks, and it seems like overall, for the Revolution, there's just been times where they've struggled, uh, you know, finishing and converting on chances. So it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, 100% agree with that. It was uh, 26 total shots, and six of them were on target. Um, so that's, you know, a glaring issue for sure. Um, it, not not really sure, I guess, what what the Revs need to do to build on that to get better. But, uh, I mean, even Richie Williams, I, I believe, was saying it uh, leading up to the game. You know, the Revs need to be better, need to be uh, more deadly in front of the net. Um, and thankfully, they had so many chances tonight. And it was 22 total chances created, according to FootMob. Uh, and that's uh, to have that many chances and only one goal is a little bit unsettling. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with that takeaway, 100%. Uh, uh, on my side, I guess I'm going to look on the other side of the of the pitch here. My takeaway is that Turner is the goat. I mean, on the stat sheet, he had four saves, which I think is less than what it it felt like when we were watching the game because every single one of his saves were big saves. Um, you know, if it wasn't Matt Turner net, there's a good chance that those are going in. Um, it was a, a, a 0.61 expected goals against. Uh, and you know he got got another clean sheet, uh, third clean sheet of the season. Um, so yeah, Turner is my takeaway, hundred ten percent. Is there anything that you wanted to add on Turner before we move on? Yeah, definitely. You know Turner's just been that guy you can constantly rely on, and just being able to have him. You know, he's just been performing so well. You know, it kind of sucks that he wasn't able to get a call up to Nations League roster, but it seems like you know we've kind of heard Bruce say that he's preparing to be about Matt Turner. So. I, I think we can all expect that uh, he'll get called up for the Gold Cup, but this is another great year so far for Matt Turner. You know, he just continues to do Matt Turner things, make great saves. So, you know, nothing you can really complain about. You know, just hopefully we'll get to see him, you know, 
go even bigger, you know, with the international, uh, with uh, the national team. Yep. But overall, so far, the revolution, you know, he's just been killing it. And it's just what he does. Yeah, I guess if there's anything to complain about, it's that Charlie Davies hasn't been trying to sell him to Europe enough on the broadcast. You know, <laughs> I haven't heard not, it lately. Not at all. It's crazy. I, I wonder if they, they told him to, to quiet down about that. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to Europe at some point in the future. Um, you know, he is, he's that type of player. Yeah, you know, we, we were talking about it earlier today, and, you know, it just seems like it'll be very interesting to see because, obviously, with Carlos Hill re-signing, you know, that championship window extends. So, you know, will you be able to get a guy like Turner to kind of commit and, you know, want to bring an MLS Cup trophy to the New England Revolution? You know, that's definitely debatable. You also got plenty of other guys to worry about, such as Tadron Buchanan. Yep. So the Revolution could see a decent amount of players leaving relatively soon. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Tejan Buchanan, real quick before we go on, I heard a team, Juventus, being brought up as a team that's looking at him, and it's uh, it's crazy to think that um, a team of that caliber is looking at uh, one of the young guys on our team that I don't even know if he necessarily has a starting spot on the roster because of how crowded <laughs> it is, but uh, it, it's pretty wild to see names like that coming in. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so you we mentioned it on your takeaway a little bit. There was a lot of chances that we had, and there was only one goal. Um, I'm curious, from your perspective, are are there anything? Is there anything to be concerned about um, other than the fact that you know it's 26 shots and one goal? Um, are you concerned about anything else on the offensive side? Um, I wouldn't say I'm concerned about anything. It's just an interesting conundrum that you have when deciding, you know, tactically, are you going to go with that 4-2-3-1 or if you're going to go with that 4-4-2. It seems like the formula for now has been the start off of a lone striker and then whether it be an Adam Dusa coming off the bench or like we saw today, Kizza coming off the bench and kind of make it more of that two-man striker. I think it's more figuring that out and because it's going to be difficult. Um, obviously, Gustavo Bo is out with an injury. But when Gustavo Bo and Busa are healthy, if you're starting the game with a DP on the bench, it's not exactly the best look. You know, Rev's Twitter uh, this week decided to talk about Adam Busa, and it seemed a lot, you know, revolving around the fact that he's a DP, so that if he wasn't a DP, the conversation around him would be a lot different. So overall, I would say just figuring out that, that, tactically, that tactical decision of, you know, are you going to go with that lone striker up top? And, you know, will Gustavo Bo or, you know, an Adam Busa do enough? Or will you go that 4-2 and then kind of sacrifice elsewhere, you know, making those tactical decisions? Yeah, and it has been a lot of that back and forth, like you were mentioning, with the formation change. You know, 4-2-3-1 uh, was the way they went today. Uh, they changed around the 77th minute or so when uh, when John Bell came in for Tejan. Uh, I, I didn't see exactly what the formation was. I was trying to make sense of it. Um, but uh, credit to Cincinnati, they were actually applying a lot of a lot of um, a lot of pressure on the revolution, and it was it was really hard to see what the revolution were trying to do with um, three central defenders on the pitch. I'm assuming it was some sort of five back, um, but otherwise, like you're saying, you know, if you're chasing a goal behind and you do have that DP on this on the bench, um, bring him on. You're going to go two strikers up top. Even without the DP on the bench, we saw today uh, Teal Bunbury. Uh, was not he did not come on, but he was talked about a lot that you know he might be one of the options that comes on. And then we got we got players like Kissa who can come on uh, and also provide a spark off the bench, like you saw today. Uh, we don't really know what his potential is. Obviously, it's been talked about that he has a lot uh, to bring to the team. You know, the Revolution obviously spent 
a first round draft pick on him and they're using up an international roster spot on him. Uh, we got to see him today um, for something like uh, 40 minutes or so. And it, he didn't, obviously he didn't produce any goals or anything like that, uh, but he didn't look bad. Um, but we have, we have depth, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. Um, and it, when we're going with that 4-4-2, pushing late to get a goal, there's plenty of options to go up there. The formation, I think, is one of the big things to look forward to as far as uh, how this team develops going forward. Um, so one other topic I wanted to add on uh, real quick that I didn't have in our agenda going forward, but you brought it up, and so I'm going to address it. Adam Buxa, like you said, over on Twitter, everyone has been making the debate. If Adam Buxa was a TAM-level signing, there would be no issue with his current uh, statistics, with his level of play, but he has that DP price tag. Uh, so what does that mean um, as far as his expectations? Is he living up to what he needs to be doing? Currently, he has uh, is it four goals through eight games, which is, yep. I think that's a pretty good return. Um, I, I know it's been three goals, uh, in the last three games. So there was definitely a dry spell in the first five games, but he's picked it up. Uh, he's turned it around. What are your thoughts? Uh, is he DP worthy? Yeah, I think it's just such an interesting conversation. It's, you know, the age old conversation when it comes to any athlete, if it comes to their contract, you're always going to be compared to that. So if you're going to compare it to the DP level, I think at the moment, well, at the moment, playing rather well but if you look at look at as a whole especially 2020 you know he just wasn't that dp caliber player i think so far this season what we are seeing we're seeing his potential and if he continues to play at this level then i would say yes you know it's a player that you know you want to see him scoring double digit goals you want to see him scoring 15 goals in a season um that's just what comes with that dp label so overall i think he's trending upwards in that sense and you know he's producing but overall Adam Boots is a guy, you know, the DP that you expect to be starting. You know, we saw that today. And you expect him to be scoring goals. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, you need to get him to that kind of like 15, I would say, around there uh, for goals-wise. And, you know, maybe Revolution fans will lay off him a bit. But overall, I don't think you can really complain. If you take the money out of it, he's doing rather well, yeah, especially coming off the bench. You know, he's been able to make that impact. But overall, once you bring in that DP, um, that kind of messes things up. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically he's officially in the golden boot race now as well. Uh, he's got a little bit of ways to go. Um, with with Chicharito, I think, on seven goals. Uh, Rui Diaz on six. Um, but other than that, there's only three people, I think, ahead of him, maybe four people, and then he's tied with a bunch of people at four. Um, it, if you have your DP striker anywhere in the conversation for golden boot, even and I know it's early in the season, but um, you know a lot of can change one way or the other. Uh, it, it's a good place for him to be, and it's where he needs to be. Um, I totally agree that take the money out. He's pre- he's doing pretty well right now. Uh, I personally think DP price tag is fine, but maybe that's because I'm a jaded Revs fan who's used to seeing you know a lack of designated players on the roster. Uh, so I'm happy to see him as a designated player. I'm happy to see him on the team. Uh, what would you give Buxas, uh, like a for a rating for tonight's performance? Actually, um, if I had to give him a rating, uh, oh, I'm not good with rating. You can make up your own it. scale too. I don't. Oh no, we're gonna do it like I'm on foot mob. Um, I'll give him, give him a seven point three. That came to mind. A seven point three. 
I think that, you know, just the fact that he was able to get the goal, that boosted, um, of course. But also, too, what you would look to see more of, you want to see a more clinical when it comes to those headers. You know, Brandon By and Carlos Hill served up some great balls to them. You want him to at least get those on target. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would definitely say, you know, there's room for improvement. But overall, again, you know, being able to get that goal, that's great for his confidence and, you know, Great, just hopefully building that momentum. You know, I think it's the last three games he scored a goal. So overall, just building that momentum, and hopefully then he'll become more clinical. And you know, instead of scoring one goal a game, we'll start seeing more of those chances go in uh, rather than not. Well, you gave him a seven point three. I will say, Foot Mob gave him an eight point five. So you're oh, a little bit, a wow. little bit harsh. <laughs> but to be fair, I think that the Foot Mob rating is very generous. Uh, Everyone knows that I'm a big Books of Fed. I'm a, you know, I, I have his jersey hanging up on my wall. Um, I also agree. A Seven point three, I think, would be fair. Maybe, maybe a little bit higher than that, but not far off. He had a, a one point oh nine expected goals tonight. He did get that one goal, but you mentioned it. Brandon By has been. I don't know where it came from, but he's been delivering in like these beauty curlers. And uh, Buxa has not been able to get him on frame. And I think that's, um, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's something of concern to keep an eye on. If, if Brennan Bay can keep delivering balls like that, Buxa needs to start doing better um, when it comes to receiving them. But uh, yeah, 7.3, I, I, I'll take that rating. I'm not, I'm not uh, offended or anything by that. So, um, all right, what to talk about? Uh, Carly's heel a little bit because uh, Carly's had uh, a phenomenal game. You know, again, talking foot mob, he had a 9.0 rating. He was the man of the match. Uh, I think that's a fair thing to say. It is interesting that uh, he had a very slow start to the game. I think through the first half an hour, he had 26 touches, uh, but he finished the game with 93 touches. Um, so it definitely ramped up from there. Eighty-one uh, percent pass accuracy. He got his assist, but he, no otherworldly touches this week. Um, you know, no no ankle breaking gifts. Ankle breaking gifts. That's a really tough one to say. Um, so I'm a little disappointed in Carlos Heel in that aspect. But you know, he got the assist. Uh, it was it was a beautiful lofted uh, curler from a really awkward position. Um, but do you have any opinions on Carlos Heel? Um, any Anything that you saw from him, either positive or negative, you know, we, we could talk negatives here too, so. <laughs> no worries, but I, w- I would say overall, you know, it's just another pleasing performance from Carlos. He's just always able to, you know, make that impact, whether, you know, usually we have seen it, you know, just breaking someone's ankles, but, you know, overall too, it's be- he's just the heartbeat of New England's attack. And, you know, overall, you know, you love seeing that assist. I would have loved for him to, uh, you know, break someone's ankles on uh, Cincinnati's back line. But, you know, well, you'll take the win. You'll take the yes. three points. But, you know, overall, I think a solid performance, like you mentioned, I think it was more, especially two kind of overall, the Revs kind of take a little bit to get into things. So it didn't really surprise me that, uh, you know, Carlos, there was just constantly like two guys uh, going in on him. And it's just basically something he's going to have to put up with. You know, teams are going to focus in on him. And re- everyone realizes if he's not – just one of the best players on the revolution he's not just the best player on the revolution he's one of the best players in mls so you're going to attract that attention so you know overall again just another you know great performance from carlos heel carlos heel just makes magic happen for the revolution 
hundred percent. And we're so lucky to be able to watch him on a, a week in week out basis. Um, you know, living in the new England area, or I guess if you have ESPN plus just being able to tune into Carly's heel, it's such a treat. Um, do you think he is on pace for an MVP caliber season? I would say right now, yes, he's on pace for an MVP caliber season, especially if you look at it from the frame point of most valuable player. If you take Carlos Heel off this Revolution team, it is completely different. We saw it last yep. year. Yep. Um, so overall, you know, looking at it at that sense, you know, Chicharito, like you mentioned, uh, Rui Diaz, both having great seasons. But especially for, I'll say Rudy, Rudy Diaz, for example, that Seattle team built really well. And, you know, I think compared to New England Revolution, if uh, you took Rui Diaz, they would still probably be doing rather well with those rolled ons out there. And, you know, obviously you have some injuries there, but, you know, there's still a very good roster. And, you know, if we're going to think about the New England Revolution possibly making it to an MLS Cup final, that's definitely someone you could see there. But, you know, when you think about the most valuable player to a team, I really can't argue that Carlos Heel isn't that because just he's the heartbeat of that attack. He just makes such a difference on the field. And he can just personally kind of take those games and, you know, put the team on his back. And, you know, make something out of nothing. So, you know, I definitely think that he's a contender for MVP so far this season. Yeah, I, I agree. He has to be in the conversation. My only concern is that when it comes down to voting time, everyone's going to look at the goals. Um, and yeah. he is way behind in that department. Uh, he has one goal this year, and it was a penalty. Um, I, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. but uh, I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, okay. Um and, and then you got, you know, like I said, Chicharito on seven, Ruby Diaz on six, and Ruby Diaz is also a playmaker who's getting, um, I don't know if he has assists, but he is a player that would get assists regularly. I mean, you're talking about making the players around you better too. Um, Kellen Rowe is now a viable option in MLS again because of Ruby Diaz. He's a week-in, week-out starter, and I'm like blown away by this. I'm a big Kellen Rowe fan. I'm happy to see him doing well. Just did not see it happening. Um so credit to Ruby Diaz there. But yes, I, Carlos Heal is my number one in the MVP race right now. Um, we saw it last year, like you said. We had to bring in Lee Wynn to get some sort of normalcy back, um, and it still was not quite the same. And uh, it, it's just such a treat to have him on our team. It's an absolute blast being able to watch him. It's like it's a, it's a gift. It really is. Absolutely is, yeah. Uh, all right, so we're going to talk about the defense a little bit too. Uh, we'll talk about them more. We have some questions and stuff on the defense, but I really want to talk about one specific defender, someone that played 13-plus minutes tonight. His name is John Bell. Sam, I know you're a big John Bell fan. Uh, he did get a run out in the 77th minute. Uh, how great is it for you as a, such a big supporter of his um, to, to see him getting all these minutes and being as successful as he's been? Yeah, it's definitely been a wild ride just from basically a uh, shout out Seth McCumber, who is the official uh, creator of the announced John Bell hashtag. Um, it's been a wild ride just seeing, you know, just one night us start tweeting about John Bell and then now seeing him play. Um, and he's doing really well. Like, it's rather impressive. And now it's even at the point where you're wondering, you know, do you give him that spot over Kessler? You know, it's it's a conversation. I don't know if it's exactly an answer that you give to Bell. But overall, he's done a good job. And just like you mentioned before, just that depth that the New England Revolution have now, especially at center back, where it seemed like it was going to be a problem. And, you know, now you do have a guy like Bell and you have a, guy, a veteran like De La Garza who can come in as well. But overall, for Bell, I've been impressed. You know, he's made some good plays. You know, 
obviously he has some work to do. I think DWP probably just like put him in a blender if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but overall, just you know, he's looked well. He's shown that he can even be a threat on the attack. You know, he has great hops, and you know that's especially important on both defense. You know, getting those clearances, but also making a pack impact on those set pieces. If you have a guy like Carlos Hill, or you know, even a, a Brandon By, you know, curling those balls in, and you get a tall guy like a Bell being able to go up and get those balls, you know, we might start seeing him score goals, and we know how much Bruce Arena likes to see his uh, center backs be able to score. That's right, but three overall, or four. Exactly, exactly. But overall, uh, you know, it's been please, it's been really, uh, I would say, a pleasant surprise. You know, John Bell looked very good down in Revs too, but you know, getting to see him in MLS, it's the same thing with Masiel. You know, just make a seamless transition. It's not like he's looked like a fish out of water. You know, he's looked rather comfortable. And he seems like he's kind of found a home where he's going to be able to stay. And, you know, it all depends on how Henry Kessler plays and stuff like that. But I definitely think moving forward, we're going to see John Bell get some significant minutes, especially with, you know, some uh, fixture con- congestion coming up. Yep. I don't have a whole lot to add to that topic. Um, so we can, I guess, just move on. But I, I'm a big fan as well of the whole John Bell movement and uh, announced John Bell was such a fun thing. We actually got to talk to John Bell, too, a few weeks back. Uh, I guess a few months back now at this point. Uh, and he's such a, such a great guy. Uh, it was a lot of fun chatting with him. You can always, if anyone wants to listen to it, you can always go through and uh, check out our, our past podcast and you can find the interview with John Bell. I listened to it, so you guys should, too. That's right. Sam, it's officially endorsed by Sam Minton. Um, before we jump into the listener questions, though, I did want to take a minute to talk about our new sponsor of the podcast, Golasho Kits. Golasho Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does their selection. And if you head to GolashoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at GolashoKits.com. And I know I have several kits now in my cart because I've been heading over there. I've been going over there for a little while now before we even had a partnership with them trying to pick out what I want. There's so many different good things. Right now there's a 2002 REVS home kit that I've been eyeing for quite a while. I haven't been able to pull the trigger yet, but I really, really am considering it. I got like four other kits in in there too. My my wife is gonna kill me when she sees what's in the in my in my kit right now. But Sam, I know you've used Galastro kits before. Is there anything that you have to say about them, or also what have you purchased from them? I'm curious. Yeah, so I got a MLS kick trials of cancer warm up top. I got yep. it from them. It's very sick. And also, too, it, like, came very fast. Like, shipping was a breeze. Did not expect to go that fast. Also, I've been eyeing up an Ireland national team shirt, not mm. Henry Kessler. Just looking at them. Goloso Kits, if you're listening, please add some smalls for the boy. He would appreciate it. Yeah. All right, yeah. So we got to work on getting those smalls there. I know they do have some because every time I clicked on – not every time, but a lot of them that I clicked on, I saw they had small sizes as well. Oh, yeah. They got a lot of scarves and stuff too, which I've been noticing. I'm a big scarf fan, so I'm looking at that. And and they have a Tampa Bay Mutiny kit that I'm not allowed to buy it, but uh, I would really like to try to buy it. Yeah, it's it's a nice kit. Um, anyways, if you haven't already, please go check out Galasha Kits. Thank you to Galasha for for sponsoring uh, this pod. And yeah, let's move on to our listener questions. Uh, first question that we have uh, comes over from Discord. It's from TSB11. 
TSB says, this team has to be one of the worst goals to chance teams ever assembled, right? Um, and this is something that I did see uh, when I was putting together the notes for the show. And I wanted to find some time to go actually research this and see where we rank uh, among, I guess, among MLS. But uh, I, I haven't had the time. But from the eye test, I 100% say it's got to be one of the one of the worst expected goals to goals ratio. Um, it, it's just been it's been the never ending theme. Every single match that we have, we look at it and we say, yeah, we should have had a whole bunch of goals, and we came away with nothing, or we came away with one goal. I mean, today we had, I think it was only two expected goals today, or it was one point eight six. Um, and yeah, 1.86 expected goals, and we came away with one goal. So I guess better better than average today for the Revolution, but uh, it's still not not up to par, uh, in my opinion. Um, Sam, did you have anything you wanted to add to that question? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the eye test, it just it sure seems like it. Um, and just overall, too, it's something that, you know, you can kind of pinpoint in every game. You can be like, all right, you know, they were able to walk away with the win, or, you know, they were able to walk away with a draw. But, you know, they should have had more goals and stuff like that. So it's something, you know, Bruce Arena will always say that if he had the answer, if you had to become a better finisher, you know, he, they would score a lot more goals. But at the end of the day, you definitely want to see them, you know, converting on more chances and just, you know, because if they are, you know, they're going to be able to start blowing up teams and just continuing to be at the top of the Eastern Conference. Yep. Uh, it's it's great. It's kind of scary to think about the fact that, uh, right now, the Revs are, I think, in second place in goals scored in the East. Uh, and yet, we have this big problem where we can't score goals. Uh, so once it all starts clicking together, I saw a couple people over on Twitter uh, tweet about it as well. And it, it really is such a, a wild thought to think about that this is maybe the worst that they can do. Um, it, it's a scary thought for the rest of the league, definitely. Uh, I, I think, I guess we'll, we'll get to it in the next question, actually. But, um, yeah, I, I think they're going to be a, a contender all year long. Um, and the next question actually is from David Sibillin over on Twitter. Uh, he starts off saying, great win, three points away from home, can't get better than that. And then he wants to know, is the Revolution defense good enough to earn the first seed in the East? And, Sam, I'll let, let you answer that one first. I, I would have to say yes. I think that, you know, seeing the depth that they've been able to build, but also, too, I think having that key guy in Matt Turner, uh, if you have him, you know, in between the six, your defense is going to be pretty strong no matter what. So I think definitely this is a New England Revolution team that should be competing for that top spot in the Eastern Conference. When you think about it, you got that veteran guy in Farrell. You know, he's just that veteran voice that you're able to have. And whether you have a guy like Kessler, Kessler, you know, there was times he looked shaky today. But overall, you know, I would say it was a solid performance from him. And I think you're going to continue to get that. You've seen it throughout all of last season. You know, he was a really, really good. And especially for a rookie, he was made some intelligent moves and smart decision making. So I think overall, with the amount of depth that they have, you know, whether it be a Kessler or Bell alongside Farrell. And then you also have a Dewan Jones and even then you also have to imagine that at some point you would hope that Christian Mafla will uh, get some time over at left back and then you know combining that with Brandon By having a great start to the season yeah I definitely think this is a revolution team looking at it just from the back line side of things can compete for a fair seed in the Eastern Conference 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, Christian Mafla as well because he's making, I think, what, close to or over half a million dollars uh, on his salary, and I think he's got more minutes with Revs too than he does with uh, the Revs first team or he's been injured. Um, you know, obviously there's some, some concern when you sign a guy with a nickname Glass Legs. I didn't expect it to be quite like this where he's been out as much as he has been uh, or trying to get fit as much as he has. So I I hope we see him. I, I'm assuming that's the plan. Uh, with that said, I think Dewan Jones has proven to be a very uh, valuable piece to this back line. Uh, he's able to, you know, he has, he has more speed, I think, than anybody on the pitch almost any game. Um, I'd say he's probably top 10 fastest players in MLS. It, it, it's such a great asset to have that sort of speed. And it, he's more than just speed. You know, he's able to, to track back when he needs, and uh, he can also go in and help in the attack. Obviously, he's right-footed, so there's that limitation. I think we talk about that every single week on this podcast, that DeJuan Jones is still right-footed. Uh, but he's getting into positions, and he's uh, trying to find ways to use his right foot to put in crosses, and he's getting better with his left foot as well. So I'm really curious to see what happens with that left-back position. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up Mafla, but it's uh, definitely a, a key piece that we need to look to look at going forward. Um, and then over back with, uh, with Kessler and Bell, Ronnie Smalls over on Twitter wanted to know, what's the justification for Kessler over Bell moving forward? Uh, and Sam, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, I would say overall, uh, the sample size with Kessler is a bit larger, you know, seeing what he was able to do last season. So I think, you know, obviously Kessler, I think, is a little rusty. Bruce Arena even said it uh, in his postgame press conference. But, you know, I think especially after the international break, seeing how he's able to perform, I definitely think it is at a point, though, where if Kessler does start to, you know, struggle, look a little bit shaky out there, that you're going to see uh, John Bell, whether it be coming on early or possibly getting those starts, so I think it's the race is definitely closer, but for right now, you trust what you've seen uh, that larger sample size with Kessler, and hope that you know he's just kind of getting that form uh, back, and that you know once we're uh, after the international break, you know he'll be able to perform well just like he did uh, in 2020. Yeah, it, it, I think I agree with you. It is you know it's a lot of the uh, the sample size that we've seen of Kessler, but. Also, I think it's the experience, you know, um, like you were saying, Kessler's played with the U.S. under-23 team. Um, that provides a lot of experience, and I, he earned that call-up as well. You know, it's not like he backed into it um, because he has a famous dad or something like that, um, like some other players might have done. Um, but, Ke- you know, Kessler earned it, and it, I thought that he performed very well in that uh, in that camp. And I'm curious to see if he possibly gets a shout um, at the Gold Cup um, when they bring in Matt Turner as well. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to deny that he was rusty tonight, especially in the first half. I think second half he settled in so much better. Uh, I counted three mishaps by Kessler in the first half alone, uh, two of which uh, almost led to a goal. One of them was that um, that really good shot by Locadia? Locadia? I believe so, I believe so. Yeah, it was, a, it was a driven low shot, but, I mean, it was too close to Turner, and Turner's not going to miss that. Um, so, yeah, I, I I don't think right now Bell has has the line to take to take Kessler's spot. If we're going to talk about what we're doing with Farrell, on the other hand, maybe. I, I think Farrell's been fine, but I think that he's also a liability because he has a very eccentric 
uh, play style back there. He has he plays with a lot of flair, which is so much fun to watch. And you know he's one of my favorite players on the team uh, for that reason because he's so fun to watch and uh, and he's great with you know fan involvement and all that. But it it does worry me that he plays with a bit of that eccentric flair because he puts himself in positions that are very risky and he's getting gotten himself in trouble before. Um, thankfully, it's not been quite as bad as. Uh, Antonio De La Maya's, uh blunder in the MLS's back tournament last year. I don't mean to to bring back bad memories, but uh, I think we're at a point now where we can talk about that and not be too upset. <laughs> but you know, yeah. th- thankfully, Farrell's not getting into those positions. But that's that's where I'm looking at when I see Bell. I'm like, it, can a, a Kessler and Bell pairing be the future of the Revolution? And you know, you also got to think Farrell's not getting any younger. Uh, I don't want to say he's old because I am definitely older than him and i'm not that self-deprecating yet but uh i think that the future of the res back line is going to be something but with with kessler and john bell um we did have one other comment to from eric over on twitter and he was asking about kessler and locadia saying what what do we think kessler's best one-liners to get into locadia's head were uh looks like he was talking all game uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to really speculate what he was saying for two reasons. One, I don't think I'm clever enough to actually think of something that he was saying that was actually good. Uh, and two, I don't want to put words in Kessler's mouth. Um, but I, they were bickering and battling all game. Uh, and it, it came to the point where the, the referee had to set, separate them at one point. Um, and it, Kessler was not backing down. And I love to see that on the back line. You know, don't. Don't get intimidated by uh, a high, higher-profile skilled player like Locadia. Uh, he gave it right back to him, and he, he just didn't take any crap. I love to see it. Um, any, anything uh, on on that matchup that you saw, Sam? Yeah, I also am not clever enough to think of a great one-liner, but I will use this opportunity to you know, uh, give some information that our photographer over at the Vent Musket, uh, Dolan, gave us. and. You know, he just has noticed that, you know, on the field before games, um, you know, Kessler's a guy who'll definitely talk to you, you know, chat up, chat you up and, you know, just, you know, be like a nice dude. But, you know, once that whistle's blown, he's a completely different animal. He clicks in and he's just, as I think Dolan might have said, he's insane or something like that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but overall, you know, he just has that tenacity. You've noticed it, um, especially, you know, in the most recent matchup. And he's not going to. No matter who you are, you know, whether it be a veteran player or whether it be this high-profile player, he's going to just take you on. He's going to defend you, and he's going to do the best that he can. And, you know, so far he's been rather successful. And I think, you know, having that aspect, too, of just being able to not just walk the walk but also talk the talk as well, you know, helps to get in people's got people's heads, you know, maybe earn yourself someone else a yellow card that can help your team out. But, you know, overall I just think that, you know, Kessler's a guy that, once that whistle blows, he's locked in, and, you know, he's going to do his best. You know, he's going to be going at 120% the entire game. Yep. The Kessler did pick up a uh, a yellow card in this game as well. If I remember correctly, it was a pretty soft yellow, right? Um, there's, there was a few yeah. few yellows on the refs that I was like, uh, I don't know. Maybe you could, could have bypassed them. But um, uh, talking about the officiating, I guess, you know, Eric also, who – asked that last question he also wanted to know um our thoughts on the officiating uh since fans had objections but the game was physical also can we complain that the weekly review series about var that put pro out 
uh, doesn't have any thoughts about the elbow to Matt's head in Philly. I mean, as far as that goes, we, we can't really control that. I think they should have looked at that. Maybe they didn't want to look at that and uh, damage themselves. You know, who knows where that went. Um, but as far as officiating for tonight's match, uh, I thought it was really fair officiating all game, save for maybe one play. There was one foul. I think the Revs committed a foul late in the game on Cincinnati. Uh, we won the ball back, and it was a no-call uh, play on. I thought it should have been a foul, and I I said out loud, how was that not a foul? And then a second later, Charlie Davies said on the broadcast, I can't believe the ref didn't call that a foul. So I had some <laughs> validation pretty instantly on that. Um, I, I didn't write down the minute. I forget what time that was. Um, but overall, I thought the officiating was pretty fair. I, I wasn't too upset uh, one way or the other, and I don't think they impacted the game, which um, – I guess would have been hard in such a lopsided performance to impact the game, but uh, it's a good thing when they're not impacting the game. Uh, Sam, do you have anything to add about the officiating? I'll be a little more crucial just to make our our, our mutual friend Jake proud and say yes. that uh, overall there was definitely some calls that I think were questionable. There was the Brandon By call down the corner where I don't know if it was Ocadio, Yeah, uh, I forgot Russell. about this call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where he just basically fell down. Nothing Brandon By did, and somehow Brandon By they they gave a free kick. That was wild. Also, too, I think at the beginning of the game that uh foul on Tristan that was very uh, debatable. Uh, I believe some people saying it might have been an orange card, but definitely worth a yellow card. But it wouldn't have surprised me if Tristan just got upended. So you know, wouldn't have surprised me to be a red card. I would agree with you in the sense that. Just because they didn't have an impact on the game, it's not like they. It's not like in other games where there's been some egregious calls that have had an impact on the game. So you can, I would say you can't complain. At the end of the day, like many Revolution players, our Bruce Green will say it's supposed to watch out, wash out in the end. So we'll just hope that you know it does exactly that. But at the end of the day, it didn't impact the game, and the Revolution won. And I think even Cincinnati fans will agree that that's what should have happened. Yep, that's it. that's totally fair to say. And I'm glad you brought up the Tristison play, actually, because I had forgotten about that. Um, I did make note of it in my notes, but uh, I thought it was a good call. I, I liked the yellow. It was pretty early in the game. Uh, I could have seen it going red, uh, especially when you look at the Andy Polo over in Portland tackle. Um, Andy Polo was tackled by, I forget the guy's name, from the Galaxy. Eric Williams, Derek Williams. Uh, yeah, so it was something Williams. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that was an egregious tackle. Uh, Andy Polo, I think, is done for the season. Uh, yep. And that was a red card, straight red card, which I you know, 100% agree with. And now he's been suspended, I think, a couple of games as well. Um, I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. But this play looked a lot like that Andy Polo flipping over because Tristan did the same exact type of flips. Um, but when I saw it back in the replay, I was not upset in the least that it was a yellow card. I think it should have been a yellow card because it was reckless, but uh, he wasn't trying to play Tristan. He was playing the ball. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with that personally, but um, I would love to hear uh, Jake's feedback on this as well. So. He'll, be, he'll be listening and just be screaming somewhere i hope yeah i hope his face is turning red in connecticut (laughs) Uh, jake we love you all right moving on uh josh goulet over on twitter wanted to know yeah he wants to talk about bell as well um 
seeing Bell come in to make a three-man back line is something Bruce Arena wants to do in the future, uh, question mark. It seems to make more sense to me with who they have. Uh, is he wrong? Rez2 does this. Could it be preparation for the future? Uh, are they future-proofing by bringing in Bell, seeing what they can do? Um, I I don't have a whole lot of thought, I guess, either way on this because I haven't thought too much about it. I don't know why the Revs would would go to a three-man, I guess this season, talking this season, because we don't really have a big issue defensively, right? We're totally fine with the four-man back line, and we put two central defenders in front. Uh, it seems to work just fine. Uh, I think we've conceded two goals once, and that was the worst that we've had, right? Oh, twice. We conceded two goals against Chicago and then two goals against Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think we have an issue defensively. I want to see that fifth defensive player as an attacker. Uh, I, I think we need to focus more on how we can be more creative and inventive in, in the attack, which I don't know if we even need to do with all the chances that we're creating. It was against Cincinnati. I'm sorry, Cincinnati fans, but yeah. Defensively, your team was a mess. It it really allowed the revolution to really open up the game and create all those opportunities. I think they need to work on finishing, but I still want more focus on the attack than I do on the defense right now. Um, I don't know. Sam, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely been something I've seen floated around, you know, that three-man black line, you know, having just Bell, Kessler, and uh, Farrell back there. It just doesn't seem like we need to do that you know like you mentioned i think overall just obviously it'd be great if you can get bell you know who who i'd be lying if i said i didn't want more john bell in my life but you know overall i think that you know just sticking with the four-man back line just makes the most sense you know maybe with revs two doing it it could signal something but i think overall just sticking with that four-man back line something bruce arena just loves so I don't think it'll be going anywhere anytime soon. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on, we got Mike Kennedy over on Twitter. He says, would bringing in Teal have helped out the Revs to take the air out of the game and been more threatening on the counter? Uh, I'm not sure when he was thinking about bringing in Teal Bunbury, but uh, Sam, do you have any thought as to if they should have brought him on and maybe what what time in the game that substitution should have been made? The Revs only made two substitutions all game. Um, and so curious to see what your thoughts are as far as bringing on teal yeah i think overall you know it seemed like teal could have been a guy who slotted up uh next to adam book so you know but we've definitely seen kids take a lot of those minutes you know there's also the argument you know do you want to take a guy like tajon buchanan off but you know i i would say tajon was doing rather well so i get why you'd want to keep him on but overall i think just being able to have a guy like teal who can come off the bench you also have a guy like emma boateng just bringing that pace up and, you know, just being able to kind of go on the attack with that pace. And, you know, you would hope that, like, uh, you know, uh, Mike Kennedy mentioned, just take the arrow of the game, get that second goal. Um, so I would have liked to see Teal come on just to add that pace. I'm not too upset, though. I'm happy that Kizza was able to get those minutes. Um, but overall, too, just being able to have a guy like Teal or, you know, like uh, Ima Boateng being able to come off the bench, it's such a useful weapon, you know, bringing that pace to a team that could have tired legs. Yep. And I was totally fine with the decision to not bring on Teal after the score was, after the goal was scored. Uh, when, when the Reds were really pushing and trying to get that goal, I was sitting around thinking, you know, we need something to, to 
change this game around and into our fortune and it just felt like the perfect Theo Bunbury game where he's going to come in in the 60th minute which the 64th minute sub where Tristison went off and Kissa came on that was a little bit of a head scratcher to me because I really thought that was that's the Teal Bunbury moment he's going to come on he's going to change the whole trajectory of this game uh, and instead you know Kizza came on and while I don't think he did poor I don't think he influenced the game uh, one way or the other uh, like you said we are seeing more minutes out of Kizza, so maybe that's something that we just need to be more prepared for uh, but I would have liked to see Teal over Kizza in that substitution but since it was Kizza coming on and then we did score a goal six minutes later I'm not as concerned like at that point it doesn't make a lot of sense to bring teal in um i would say let him rest but i, mean, I think they got about three weeks of rest right now with the international yeah. break coming up um but yeah it, teal would have changed the game for sure i'm not too upset either way i like that you brought up emma boateng we still i don't think we saw him we saw him one time i think all season right and that's yeah, been pretty it. Sure it was one time yeah and it was a short run out for him um i've seen him playing MLS for many years. I don't know why why we're not seeing more of Emma Boateng. Um, I don't know if it's a fitness thing or if, you know, maybe he's just not up to snuff with the rest of the players. So, um, Anyway, moving on. We have one question that was skipped last week. Um, unintentionally, of course. I think it came in after uh, the pod started recording. I wasn't here last week, so I'm not really sure. Um, and I will also add, if I missed someone's question, uh, I apologize. I was searching and scouring. Um, very easily could have missed your question. So uh, please uh, reach out to me and let me know that I missed it, and we'll catch it um, the next time we have a pod, which is, I think, in a few weeks. So, um, But Powder Hungry over on Twitter wanted to know, if the Revs had to rebrand, how would you go about it? Very straightforward question, very topical with all the stuff with Columbus SC slash Columbus Crew. Uh Sam, I'm going to throw it straight to you. I, I want to know what your opinion is here. If the Revs had to rebrand, how would you go about it? So I basically think that when it comes to how they should go about it, basically they just need to talk with the fans and talk with the supporters groups. It's such a simple thing to do to just mm -hmm. be like, hey, guys, you know, what do you want? And, you know, being able to take in their feedback because – you know then you're going to get a, you know, a kit or a crest that's going to sell because the rebrand's what the fans want. So you're going to make money off of it, and you get all that goodwill of just being able to work with a supporters group. So I think if the Revs you know, have to rebrand, uh, I think that's how they should go about it. Also, too, just talking about the rebrand, I think uh, when it comes to you know a crest or a logo, I think that you kind of have to stick to those roots, whether it be you know, keeping the crayon flag or, like, updating it, you know, stuff like that. I think that's something that you kind of got to keep in there. You don't want to see them, you know, just completely revamp the logo and make it look like something that came straight out of Europe. You know, you want the New England Revolution to always be, I would say, the New England Revolution. And, uh, you know, just stick to that true, you know, uh, MLS vibe. And I think, obviously, you know, the crayon flag might be, could use a maybe an upgrade but um hopefully being able to just upgrade it and not completely trash it but yeah overall just being able to listen to the fans and you know have that open communication that would just do so much goodwill for the new revolution if they did decide to rebrand yeah i totally agree and we want to avoid like that Leeds united situation where they went from their iconic what is it it's a spike with a snake i think it is or something I, i'm not a Leeds yeah. fan so apologies uh, any revs uk and all you other Leeds fans 
Um, but they rebranded from that badge and they turned it into what was it, that that stronger like emoji basically. It was essentially an emoji, uh, and yeah. the, the backlash was unreal on that. So we do we don't want to become that sort of fan base where we have to deal with that or. I guess if you want to say Chivas USA to LAFC might have been like the best rebrand in history. Um, that's what I'm calling it, by the way, uh, is that that was a rebrand, not an expansion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I agree. They, they need to involve the community. They need to involve the supporters groups. Uh, there's so much history with this club uh, that it would... I, I don't think this ownership and the front office is so dense that they're going to do something that's completely behind uh, all the supporters' backs, especially seeing how current events have been unfolding uh, when you're looking at Chicago and now Columbus, um, specifically those markets right there. Because, I, you know, Houston rebranded. There wasn't a whole lot of backlash. Montreal, there was more, I think, more backlash outside of Montreal than inside of Montreal, um, at least from what I've seen. But you need to involve the fans and the people that are paying ticket, paying money to, to come in and, and support the team. Um, and it's, it, it just boggles my mind why so many clubs don't do that. Uh, and as far as the cramp flag, I, I agree a hundred percent. I want to be as contrarian as possible. You're not giving me the opportunities. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. I don't want the cramp flag to go anywhere. Long live the crayon flag. Um, but find a way to freshen it up. I'm totally all for that. Um, and yeah, I, hopefully there's no like drastic changes coming soon. Uh, I know that something's coming whenever we get a stadium, uh, who knows how soon or far <laughs> that is. Uh, we're not going to start that conversation cause that conversation will never end. Um, but yeah, I, I like that question a lot. Powder hungry. Thank you so much for sending it in. Sorry again for missing you, um, last week. Uh, we got some news and notes to go over just uh, quickly. We had a couple injuries. Gustavo Bo and Luis Casado were both out this week with injuries. Uh, while Justin Renex, Christian Mafla, and Earl Edwards Jr. were all with Revs 2. Uh, and I think Justin Renex right now, maybe we can call him a Revs 2 player because I don't see him coming up to the first team anytime soon. Yeah. Um, Tejan Buchanan has some news where he was called up to the Canadian men's national team uh, for their World Cup qualifiers. Uh I think that's what it was for. Am I? Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay. I saw that, and then when I said it out loud, I'm like, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> so thank you for confirming that. Uh, and then another piece of news. Well, it's not completely res worthy, not in any way. It is MLS worthy. Uh, MLS released their sanctions against Inter Miami CF and their use of four designated players, where Blaise Matuidi came in as the fourth designated player, and apparently. Sam, I don't know if you know this. It's been 24 hours now, so everybody knows it, but I have to talk about it. Andres Reyes is also a designated player. Uh, so Inter-Miami CF had five designated players on their roster and still managed to come in 10th place last year. Um, Inter-Miami CF also got a $2 million fine for the club. Uh, Jorge Mas received a $250,000 fine, and then there's allocation money reductions for 2022 and 2023. So nothing affecting them this year, but changes that they're going to have to uh, account for next season where it's over $2.2 million of allocation money reduced. I don't know if that's spread over two years, if that's for both years, uh, but it, either way, these uh, fines are massive. Uh, biggest that we've ever seen in MLS in Miami. They want to set records. They finally got one. Um, they got the biggest <laughs> fine in MLS history. 
Uh, Sam, did you have anything you wanted to say about that? Because that's pretty big news. Um, yeah, it, it was just crazy. I think, you know, we expected there to be like a big, you know, uh, kind of statement made with this. But to see, you know, that that two million and also to, I believe, uh, the GM who was with he's currently with, well, was with Atlanta United. Um, you know, he got a two year suspension and Atlanta United obviously got rid of him. So I think it's overall big. I think overall, too, just seeing that they somehow cheated and just came in 10th and lost to Nashville. <laughs> really rough to see uh david yeah. beckham not having a good time no. um but overall you know i think you know credit to the league for coming down on them and it just kind of gives you a whole new lens to look at inter miami with you know considering that how much they were bending the roster rules and just weren't able to succeed well now there's there's rumors that willian is coming over as well i think oh yeah Every every European star, William, I, Messi's going to come over. So is Ronaldo. So is Neymar. Just every every guy just wants to play for uh, David Beckham in Miami. I, I guess you know they're going like, hey, we're not going to have any money the next two years. Let's put all the money into this year, and just who cares anymore? I, I, it, it, it's really crazy. It's such a wild situation to see down there, and it is. We're saying that the MLS found that. David Beckham, as well as a couple of others that I forget the names, I didn't write it down, but they actually had um, no knowledge of any wrongdoing whatsoever, according to MLS and um, the internal investigation that they did file. Um, but that wraps it up for news and notes. Uh, Sam, do you have any final thoughts before we depart? Not Chris. I just really appreciate being able to uh, make my debut. So thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah, it was a pleasure to have you, Sam. Uh, anytime, you're definitely welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I will say you can follow us over at Revolution Recap on Twitter and also like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages. Uh, you can also send us an email at revolutionrecap at gmail.com at any time with your questions and comments. And please, if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And Sam, where can uh, everyone find you over on social media? So, yes, you can find me over on Twitter at Sam underscore Minton 22. And also, while you're there, make sure to follow the Bent Musket at the Bent Musket. And also, too, you know, just check out the Musket.com and uh, all the writing and musings we have over there. Yeah, Bent Musket, great, great friends uh, of of the podcast. Uh, thank you so much again, Sam. Uh, thank you to Bent Musket for, for lending him to us for a night. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we will be back after the break uh, as the Revs travel to Red Bull Arena to face New York City Football Club. Yes, you heard that right, Red Bull Arena to face New York City Football Club for a midweek matchup on June 19th. Until then, thanks to everyone for listening and submitting your questions, and go Revs! <laughs>